Hi, welcome to a podcast about murder. You're listening to an early episode. Ancient. So old. Thank you for listening. We've learned a lot about podcasting since putting out these first few episodes, so we encourage you to check out our newer episodes too for a smoother listening experience. We're getting better all the time, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to episode 6 of a podcast about murder. This is the final episode of this first season. We'll have a Halloween special coming out next next week. Is that uh, right? Yeah, next Thursday. And then following that, we'll be taking a short break to sort of assess how well the first block of episodes has gone, see what worked, what didn't, um, how we can do better in the next season. And of course, I need time to research and write more episodes on top of everything else (laughs) Uh, I have one at the moment I finally have I think figured out how to get the best out of my cheapo microphone it's been a revelation your sound is always pretty good and mine has been up and down to say the least so sorry about that but I think I've had a breakthrough here so we'll see I bet now that I say that it's going to be really really shit (laughs) Today for this final episode we're going to cover a case from London in 2001 which is still unsolved. It's a disturbing one and it's always going to be that way when you cover the murder of a child. Just a note on our general demeanour while we're close to the subject. I think generally that we are sensitive. We try to be. Yeah, but because of the format of our podcast being conversational and our attitude may be coming across a bit more light-hearted. I'm always mindful of trying to put a distance between the moments when we can have a little laugh about something and the moments where we take things seriously. However, I'm the kind of person who will unfortunately laugh nervously when being told something terrible or yeah, when relaying terrible information. And I think you are as well yeah. <laughs> like that. <laughs> or I would make a poor joke to deal with a bad situation. And I think as long as the victims are never the butt of the joke in true crime podcasts, there is a place for a little humour without being disrespectful. Mm. I personally feel that humour can do a lot to help us as human beings deal with the things we encounter in the world. Uh, So I just wanted to mention that as a general statement on how we both, I I think, perceive the intersection of humour and sensitivity in all our episodes. But this week, besides all that, since this is the first time we've covered the murder of a child, um, I just wanted to be especially clear that this episode may not be for everyone, but it is a true crime podcast. (laughs) And especially with unsolved cases, I feel there's a definite merit to continuing to talk about these crimes. Our case begins in the year 2001 in central London. On Friday the 21st of September at around 4 p.m., a 32-year-old IT consultant called Aidan Minter was on his way home from work in the city centre. He was approaching Tower Bridge, walking along the Thames River, when he noticed something floating in the water. When he got closer, leaning over the side of the bridge, he saw that the object that he had first taken for a small barrel was actually the headless, limbless body of a child. Oh, God. Horrified. 
obviously. Aidan called the police, who quickly arrived with a river rescue unit to retrieve the torso before it was carried away by the river. What was left of the body was dressed in a pair of orange shorts, which were described as being bright and close to red, so like reddish-orange. As previously mentioned, the head, legs and arms of the victim were missing. So this is horrific. Among the police who helped retrieve the torso was Will O'Reilly, a detective inspector who would go on to be a central figure in the investigation that followed. Will said of the discovery, I'd never seen a child that young dismembered. He was, of course, very distressed by the discovery, as were the rest of the unit. The body was taken to the Home Office Pathology Unit. Pathologist Michael Heath was the person who carried out the autopsy. Interestingly, though... Michael Heath would later be forced to resign from the Home Office after coming to a heavily disputed conclusion of murder in an unrelated case. A couple of years on from this, he later admitted to the poor quality of his work in that case and his medical license was even hanging in the balance. Uh, He Mm. no longer practices forensic pathology. I just thought that was interesting enough to mention. The autopsy of the torso at the Home Office produced some chilling findings. The body was that of a boy between 5 and 10 years old, and he was either African or Afro-Caribbean in descent. His body had been placed in the water up to 10 days prior to being discovered. The cuts used to remove his arms, legs and head were highly precise and deliberate. The removal of the limbs and head had happened after death. Unusually and horrifically, the body had been completely drained of blood. There were no signs of sexual assault or trauma to the body besides the dismemberment. There was no evidence of violent trauma, such as like uh, broken bones or bruising or anything like that. In the stomach, traces of folcadine were found, which is a drug with a mild sedative and cough suppressing effect found in common cough medicines. Okay. So it could have just been that he had been taking medicine. It's not necessarily proof that he'd been drugged or is um, it? Yeah, they couldn't really state the amount was co- it was like trace amounts, so he could have been actually just taking it for a cough or it could have been mm. used to try and sedate him. A concoction of various material, um plant matter and extracts was discovered in the lower intestine. The boy had not eaten in the several days preceding his death. The cause of death was listed as trauma to the neck. I'm not sure how this determination was made, but I think they were going with a slit throat um, as okay. the cause. There was, as there was nothing else uh, on the torso to really give an indication. The pathologist noted during the autopsy report that the draining of blood and precision of the cuts to the body could signify a ritualistic killing. The orange shorts were also examined. Their label was in German and made by a brand called Kids Company. The shorts could only have been bought in Germany or Austria. The autopsy findings suggested that the shorts were put on the body after death. I don't know how. I mean, that's pretty amazing detail. I don't know how they would know that. Mm. Lack of, oh, well, lack of blood, I suppose. Clean. If they were really clean, then they were probably... Uh, Due to the incredibly shocking nature of this murder, a press conference was held shortly after the body was discovered. The police hoped that speaking to the press quickly would help with identifying the victim. Superintendent Adrian Maybanks, who said that he had not come across anything like this in his whole career, addressed attendees at the conference and told them that as they hadn't been able to identify the child, they had given him the name Adam. Adam. 
Superintendent Maybank said, until his family is identified, we will act as his family and his community will be the community of London. We know very little about who this boy is, but I would like to reassure members of the London community that we will not rest until this person responsible has been apprehended. Sounds like a guy you want in charge of solving your murder. Yeah, there was a very uh, determined initial spirit um, to the investigation, but it was fraught from the start. The lack of evidence and resultant lack of leads led to stagnation very quickly. The Thames continued to be searched for the missing parts of the boy's body, but nothing was coming up. As there were no fingers, there were no fingerprints Mm. to check in any databases. There were no dental records to be checked with our head. With no identity, establishing any possible motive or suspects was basically impossible because there were no relatives to contact, no one known to the victim to question, no last known location, no school, no home to search, no Mm. neighbours to canvas, no witnesses, nothing. So they moved on to the only lead they could follow, the ritual idea identified by the pathologist and the very specific processes that were carried out on the body. Okay. Investigators believe that this could be related to the boy's heritage. So following this angle, they decided to bring in a second pathologist named Dr. Hendrik Schultz from South Africa to examine the remains. Schultz compared the murder of the boy to a ritual murder case in Africa in 1994, where a similarly dismembered body was discovered near water with an orangey-red sheet wrapped around it. So you even have the colour connection there. Okay, that's interesting. And this was a killing that was found later to be connected to harvesting body parts for the so-called witch doctor or voodoo practices in the area known as muti. I may well be pronouncing that incorrectly. But now, this is important because I don't want anyone to misunderstand or misconstrue this in, in any way. Muti is derived from a Zulu word and is associated with the spiritual beliefs of Zulu people from Southern Africa. But Muti simply means traditional medicine or herbal medicine. Okay. It comes from the Zulu word for tree. And as I understand it, from what I've read, there is a distinction between white muti, i.e. white magic, um, concoctions with positive effects like healing and so on, and black muti, i.e. black magic, uh, potions for trying to increase one's personal power, bring misfortune on others, and so on. Okay. So users of black magic who make negative muti concoctions are typically shunned by Zulu society as a whole. It's not the norm to do to create these things i say this because i've seen articles and writing on this case that simply says people were killed as part of muti practices in southern africa and i think that's far too simplistic and i don't want anyone to go away thinking oh zulu people do rituals with body parts because that's not the case at all (laughs) or muti means black magic because that's not true either necessarily um, there are millions of Zulu people and they are not going around ritually killing people as a normal part of their religious practices. That's, it's not like the word muti doesn't necessarily mean that, but it appears to have just been used this way in the media in this case. The murderous version of muti is more like a cult subsection or a splinter group. And most local people will be very fearful of the people that practice this. However, there were official occult crime units set up in Africa to deal with the people who did use muti that involved human body parts. There was enough of this activity to 
present a fairly substantial problem. Murders were being carried out at a rate to fulfil their requirements for body parts, so it was it was a substantial problem. And this is quite hardcore, but victims would be kept alive, typically Ooh. during the removal of the required parts, as it was thought that the more pain that was suffered and the more noise that was made, the better the demons or the deities that the killers were seeking could hear what was happening and, and grant the body part more power. Well, this is lovely. It's certainly a belief. <laughs> certainly <laughs> that something. That is a thing that people think. Certain organs related to different uses in the concoctions. The extracted body parts would be dried and ground into powders by a Sangoba or Inyanga for use in the potions. And, and again, uh, note that not all Sangomas or Inyangas are grinding up humans. These are words right. for traditional healers. So it's just like, I guess, priest mm. or something like that. Um, typically, they're just grinding up plants and stuff and trying to make people better. Okay. In any case, uh, the body parts of children were unfortunately valued highly in this practice. Apparently, according to these beliefs, a person has a certain amount of luck that is allocated to them that they can use throughout their life. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, and obviously a child would have more luck left in them. And these particular people believe that luck could be imbibed through the potions mm. that contained their body parts. Police investigating the murder of Adam back in London were obviously disturbed by the idea of there being ritual murder carried out in London in 2001. But it was compelling considering the nature of the remains they had found and mm. the finding of the plant matter in the boy's stomach oh yeah i forgot about that in october the month following the discovery of the body the search unit still trawling the thames found a bundle of seven used candles wrapped in cloth the cloth had an african name written on it and the police decided to release this information to the press and the public in hopes of finding the owner of the name it didn't match any children on london's school databases several days passed before this lead came to an unsatisfying end. The person this name on the cloth belonged to turned out to be A, alive and well, um, and living in New York. Hmm. And he had a sister living in London who had carried out a healing spell on his behalf and discarded oh, okay. the candles in the Thames River. It was concluded to be completely unrelated to the Adam case. Although the case had been taking a backseat in the media in favour of 9-11 coverage... The press went into overdrive when the ritual killing angle was publicised, though, naturally. But while police hoped this media interest would lead to increased leads, they weren't getting any valuable information, and the year 2002 came around with no new leads. Meanwhile, Will O'Reilly, the detective inspector who had been at the retrieval of the body, was attempting to gain more insight into dark Muti practices. He visited experts on African religions and enlisted the help of a senior lecturer called Richard Hoskins. But instead of confirming the Muti angle, Richard said that there were too many things about this killing that didn't fit the theory. He pointed out that none of Adam's organs had been removed, and it was usually the internal organs or the genitals that were des desired in these cases. So that's a pretty heavy mark against this theory. Mm. Additionally, Adam's limbs and head had been removed after his death. Mm -hmm. um, if they were the desired parts, they would usually be removed during the person being alive. It's not usual in 
uh, Muti harvesting. The cuts to his body being done with care and precision also worked against the Muti theory since victims were usually subjected to more violent hacking motions to increase the suffering. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that is what it is. Richard suggested that the child had been the victim of another type of ritual killing and that his murder had been a sacrifice. Significantly, Adam was circumcised. This is a rare practice in Africa, generally, and where it is done. Different cultures have it done at different stages of a, ma of a male's life. This allowed for Richard's research to narrow down Adam's heritage, not to the Zulu people of Southern Africa, but to the Yoruban people of West Africa. Okay. In May 2002, he concluded in a report that Adam had been the victim of a sacrifice and the colour of the shorts on the body, the placing of the remains in the Thames and the draining of the blood all pointed to a sacrifice to a particular Yoruban deity. Again, much like I clarified with the Zulu people and Muti, uh, sacrificing humans is not in any way a common practice among the Yoruban people. There's also millions of them and... They don't <laughs> do this normally. <laughs> it's illegal. It's not accepted amongst most local people. And most of the people who do take part in rituals with sacrifices are just offering up items or like goods oh, okay. that they believe the gods would appreciate or giving up some sort of personal activity as a show of faith. Anyway, despite the new theory presented by Richard Hoskins pointing to a sacrifice with roots in West Africa rather than ritual body part harvesting with roots in South Africa, police were still quite fixated on gathering information on Muti killings for some reason. So they visited South Africa in the spring of 2002 to investigate it further. To help the case gain more international traction, they even involved Nelson Mandela. Oh, wow. He called for further information from the public regarding the boy's identity but this didn't unearth anything new the police consulted with experts from the occult crimes unit of the south african police who theorized that adam was related to at least one of the people who were involved in his murder the orange or red color of the shorts is the color of resurrection and mm. they thought dressing the body in this color was done by someone who felt remorse okay they were hoping that he might come back by dressing him in this color interesting Finally, the police visited an actual Zulu Sangoma who told them straight up to rule out Southern African Muti <laughs> for the same reasons Richard had been telling them. So I don't know why they didn't <laughs> listen it's to Richard. Weird, yeah. I mean, I get it because I get waiting until you've heard it from an actual African uh, religious leader as opposed to yeah. some professor. You know, it's. Yeah, there I is get that. that. Maybe consult an expert before bothering Nelson Mandela? I'm just saying. <laughs> That's actually such a good point. I think, though, that they thought, you know, Nelson Mandela did have pan-African appeal. Like, across yeah. Africa, he was... Um, obviously, people had interest in what he said. So when he said something, I think they were hoping that it would just create more interest. Mm. The Zulu Sangoma also said a sacrifice was more likely, with the blood of the victim probably being used for bathing or to drink. Like Richard, she also thought there was a significance in the river and the colour of the shorts. By the summer of 2002, these shorts had been traced definitively to Woolworth stores in Germany, leading police to conclude that Adam had recently emigrated to the UK from West Africa by way of Germany. Interesting. But there's so there's no like DNA 
on these shorts, I assume. Of another person? Yeah. But um, I don't think so. In June 2002, the police in London were contacted by Scottish social services and alerted to the case of a Nigerian woman named Joyce... I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing this, so apologies. Named Joyce Osagiede, I think. She was living in Glasgow. Uh, Joyce was a troubled woman with a very poor mental health state and sadly the social services had been tasked with removing her two daughters from her care. They were alarmed that Joyce's argument as to why she shouldn't lose her children was that she needed them for a ritual ceremony. Having heard of the Adam case, the social services contacted investigators, whose interest was instantly piqued. Mm. Joyce's Nigerian nationality also factored in as this is where the majority of Yoruban people are from. When they visited Joyce's flat, police found clothing from the same German company as Adam's shorts with the kids' company label in German. This gave them enough probable cause to arrest Joyce on suspicion of Adam's murder and take her in for questioning. I mean, at the same time, that can't—that does seem a bit um, convenient to be just coincidence. On the other hand... It's such a strange and specific yeah. connection, but it's not really enough to say what her exact yeah, involvement exactly. is. Joyce told police that she had been living in Germany with her husband until the autumn of 2001. She claimed that her husband was the head of a cult practicing human sacrifice regularly and that he had even killed their own son in 1995. Okay. Not sounding great. No. Joyce said she had fled to London with her two girls as she was afraid for their lives and she denied any involvement in the Adam case. She said she didn't have any sons and she had never cared for any young boys while in Germany. Joyce's poor mental state affected the questioning and the quality of the information. Mm. When asked for her husband's name, she verbally stated one name and then wrote down a completely different one. Okay, so it's kind of hard to tell what's, what's the truth at this point. Mm. She also appeared terrified throughout the questioning process. Uh, DNA was taken to be compared with Adams, which revealed she was not related to him. I think they were thinking maybe she was his mom or something. Yeah. With no evidence, the police had to release Joyce after 48 hours without charge. Later that year, Joyce would be deported back to Nigeria. Many investigators were frustrated, believing that there were more clues and information to be gleaned from Joyce and that her connection to Germany was too strange of a coincidence. I do think that it is a strange coincidence. Yeah, definitely. At the year anniversary of Adam's discovery in September, a memorial service was held by the case's investigators by an area of the Thames close to where the body was found. The police made another appeal to the press for information and offered a £50,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest in this case. Then a shocking discovery was made. Police had been examining Joyce's past and were visiting a previous address she had occupied in Lewisham, South London. In the back garden of the property, bones were discovered, buried with a videotape and a machete. I couldn't find out what kind of bones these were. But based on the fact that oh, another bones. murder investigation wasn't launched, I assume they were animal bones. Viewing the tape showed a wedding ceremony between Joyce and a man called Samuel in which a goat was sacrificed. And then okay. blood from the goat was splashed on the altar that they were getting married. In. So it's quite an extreme ceremony. Yeah. By my standards, anyway. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I'm not necessarily planning that for my own wedding, but I'll cancel the goat then. <laughs> more 
<laughs> Note to self, cancel the goat. <laughs> oh my God. More digging led to the identification of Samuel as a man well known in Germany for trafficking illegal immigrants, where he went by the name Ibrahim. Mm. So neither of these names were the ones that she had given to the police? No. No. I read those mm. names. I didn't include them because I, for a start, I couldn't pronounce them. And for a second, they were just definitely not relevant. Yeah. You know, it might have been some of the other identities he used, but she must have known his name, being that she's there getting married to him and his name, Samuel, is being said. But again, he's got multiple identities and she's mentally ill. So that could play into it. Meanwhile, uh, lab results were finally able to return an analysis of the plant matter found in Adam's intestine, which had originally been thought to have been too degraded. It contained bone material, beans, clay, quartz, and gold. This finding supported the sacrifice theory strongly. It was thought to be a mixture made of the favorite ingredients of a particular deity, fed to the victim in the days before the sacrifice. The beans in the mixture were calabar beans, which are poisonous and they have paralyzing properties. Okay. In the winter of 2002, police tracked down another man named Kingsley Ojo. He had been Joyce's landlord at a point. When Kingsley's flat was raided, they found another videotape which was labeled rituals. This tape showed a man being decapitated, although this was determined to be from an obscure, low-budget film rather than a real murder. <laughs> but it was odd that he had this and that he had labelled it rituals. Despite having Joyce's number on his phone, Kingsley denied knowing her. He also denied killing Adam or knowing anything about the murder. However, powder found in packets in Kingsley's flat was said to be similar to the mixture Adam had ingested before his death. Besides this, there was nothing to link him to the case. A new experimental process became available to the police around this time too, called geographical profiling. This involves examining the structure of bones. Incredibly, your bones tell a story of where you live. The microscopic elements of your bones are affected by your diet and your environment. And they can show where you've lived and even the periods of time you've lived there. And it's more precise than you might think to the location. So someone could find out from your bones that you lived in England, then you lived in the south of France, then you lived in Geneva, and they would know that. That's, that's actually... It's kind of spooky. <laughs> it is. It's kind of cool as well. Yeah, but... and, they, and it's precise enough that they would know that you lived in Geneva and not, say, Zurich. Yeah. Which is... That's really cool. And for me, my bones just say London, 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 London. <laughs> but for Adam, his bones showed that his diet had changed drastically just a month before his death. Um, evidence that he had been in London for a month. He had grown up in the Yoruban region of West Africa and more specifically from Benin City in southern Nigeria. So finally, they had an exact um, ancestry uh, sort of location for Adam. That is mad. Interestingly, Joyce, <clears throat> her husband Samuel, and Kingsley were all from Benin City. Mm. How um, big a city are we talking? Like, This is a good question. I'm going to Google it quickly. Uh, it has a population of 1.5 million, about. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a big city. It's not like it's... Well, it's not like you know everyone there. When you compare 1.5 million to 
you know, in Lo- London's population is eight over eight million. So yeah. I don't know. It's a large city, but it's not the largest of cities. Yeah. A campaign was launched to track Adam's parents in Benin City and Nigeria, um, but it uncovered no leads. The investigators felt that closure was coming as 2003 rolled around. They amped up their pursuit of the links surrounding Joyce in a new Scotland Yard operation called Operation Maxim. Samuel was tracked to Ireland and arrested, and Kingsley was followed to a child brothel in Italy where he was also arrested. Oh, God. He is not a good person. Um, Mm. They also travelled to Nigeria to find Joyce and question her again. Just like in her first interview, Joyce was unhelpful and seemed mentally unstable. She was able to make a statement confirming her involvement with her husband's sacrificial cult from 1994 to her escape in 2001. She informed police that the cult had members practising sacrifice and black magic across the UK and Germany. At first, she continued to deny knowing anything about Adam before changing her mind and claiming the murder happened in Lewisham after Adam's parents were brainwashed by the cult. She also admitted buying a pair of orange shorts while living in Germany, but said she didn't know where they were. Joyce had to be released again as nothing could tie her substantially to Adam's case. If it's possible, her husband Samuel was even less helpful in his interviews, claiming not only to have no knowledge of the cult, but to not know Joyce, the woman he's seen physically marrying on video. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting approach. He denied knowing the landlord Kingsley, though he possessed a diary with Kingsley's contact details written in them. 21 arrests were made during Operation Maxim related to a child trafficking ring headed by the landlord Kingsley, who received a rather light four and a half years in prison and was then deported. This just gets better and better. I'm loving the details of this case. Raids uncovered hundreds of mysterious artifacts, including animal skulls and such like, but this brought the investigation into Adam's death no breaks. Operation Maxim and the investigation of the Torso in the Thames had successfully uncovered and dismantled a trafficking ring headed by a clearly dangerous person and many dangerous people, but offered no answers to who had killed Adam. In August 2005, nearly four years after his body was found, Adam was finally buried in Southwark Cemetery, with the only attendees to the private ceremony being the lead investigators, deeply affected by the case and devastated by the lack of closure. Adam's case grew colder every day that followed until eventually it dried up completely. (sighs) It's just depressing. In 2011 and 2012, journalists travelled to Nigeria to track Joyce down again for interviews. Her mental health was in an even worse place than it had been before, and she was on multiple medications. She now said that she had looked after Adam in Germany as a favour to a friend before transferring him to a man she later claimed in another interview was Kingsley Ojo. Joyce said Kingsley trafficked Adam to the UK where he was killed. She claimed Adam's real name was Ikponmosa, which I'm definitely pronouncing wrong, but we're going to... Go with that. A journalist had uncovered a photograph of Joyce pictured with her two daughters and a young boy, which was so- shown to her. Hmm. She identified this boy as Adam, or Ikponmosa, and said he was used for a ritual in the Thames. Later, she would change the boy's supposed real name again, this time to Patrick. Eventually, the BBC discovered that the boy in the photo was actually named Danny, the son of one of Joyce's former friends, and he was located alive and living in Hamburg, Germany. Hmm. He was surprised to find that his picture had been used across newspapers and television around the world. The thing is, obviously, 
Joyce is the only person who's part of this who's like actually willing to talk to them, I guess. But everything she says just can't be trusted. So I don't know why they keep returning to her. And it's sort of like, it's sort of almost cruel to keep bothering her about this. Like, because even though there seems to be something about, you know, she does seem to be connected to it in some way, but it's like, this woman is so ill, she can't do anything to help yeah. you. <laughs> you know, she, and, and it's not actually no. for lack of trying. She seems to be extremely distressed and trying to assist, but not actually like getting anywhere. So it's probably best to just leave yeah. the poor woman alone. No, it also seems like, you know, she's almost fabricating these stories based on the information they're giving her to try and sort of find a story that fits with their theory. Yeah. To sort of help the case. And it doesn't actually, it just makes things more confused. I do think that she does, that can that it just seems too coincidental that not only, like, even if they didn't all come from the same place, it's... The Germany thing, the trafficking thing. Yeah. That that they were trafficking children to the UK. They were. And then yeah. a child turns up dead and he's connected to them somehow. It's just like Yeah. They they are there's no way this is too big of a coincidence. However, I don't think she killed him and therefore I just think she should probably be left alone. <laughs> I don't yeah, that's the thing. I don't know to what extent she was actually involved in this particular crime and how much she can help. That's what I think as well. No more information could be extracted from Joyce that made sense or led to anything concrete. Um, and, at, and like we were saying, at this point, police were reluctant to believe anything that Joyce claimed. Mm. In the end, nothing was uncovered that conclusively proved Joyce's claims of her husband Samuel's sacrificial death cult and ritual child killings. No more evidence came to light that indicated who may have killed Adam. Investigator Will O'Reilly has said that he believes that someone involved in the child trafficking ring, uncovered by Operation Maxim, killed Adam in a sacrifice intended to bring them luck and protect their enterprise. If this is true, mm. it's ironic, because the sacrifice yeah. of Adam ended up leading to the group's complete disintegration. To date... No one has been charged with Adam's murder and his identity remains completely unknown. The other parts of Adam's body were never recovered. The belief of investigators is that Adam was trafficked from Nigeria to the UK and sacrificed for good fortune, but they don't know any more than that. The case is still open and ongoing according to the Metropolitan Police. God. Anyone with any information about Adam's identity or his murder can call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800-555-111. It's a really, really sad case. Yeah. I will say one thing that I believe about Adam's identity, and that is Adam is either an orphan, in my opinion, mm. or his parents must have been involved in his murder. Well, I was thinking orphan as well. Mm. The reason that I think that is because I believe you'd come forward if you were missing a child that you thought could be him. Unless yeah. you were involved. I think it's odd that when they were looking for the parents and they did all these public, you know, campaigns and appeals and stuff and nobody came forward and even was like, oh, I think it's my son. Or even like, 
oh yeah, my neighbor's had this kid and he's been gone for quite some time now. I just yeah. thought you should know. I don't know if there's like a culture of silence in some places where yeah. you just don't, where you don't rat on people or something. But I think it's odd that no one was looking for a boy like this unless he had no family. So either he had no mm. family or his family killed him, which is terribly sad. Well, I guess, as you said, like there's this, also, there's this fear of these... Um, practitioners of this black magic as it were so maybe that has something to do with it yeah that's a really good point actually like maybe they don't speak about it because they're afraid that they'll bring some kind of backlash um and if someone Mm. from the cult finds out that they gave some information that some kind of spell could be done to harm them as well. I think that links quite interestingly with the resurrection coloured shorts theory, theory mm. that if he isn't an orphan and his family, someone in his family is involved in his death. It sort of links yeah. in. But anyway, such a sad case, but it's good that it hasn't yet been closed as far as I could find anyway. And hopefully one day something will come loose. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I really hope that I didn't get my facts around the religious elements in this too muddled as well. Feel free to reach out if I did (laughs) and send me an angry email. (laughs) Since this is the last sort of official episode other than the Halloween special, um, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. I wanted to thank Ricky O'Brien who created the music for the show. It's just chef's kiss. Um, (laughs) We are very appreciative of his efforts. I keep telling him to put his music on Spotify, but I will leave a link to his SoundCloud in the description box. So check that out. Go and say nice things to him. Yes. Don't forget that we are on social media at About Murder on Twitter, Instagram at A Podcast About Murder, Facebook.com slash A Podcast About Murder with no E. These are in the description box. You can find updates there, so updates on when the next season will be coming and so on. If you would like to send us an email, the address is a podcast about murder at outlook.com. Um, I want to thank everyone who has given the podcast a chance so far. Yeah, you're all pretty cool. Thank you for listening to this episode and to the whole first season. I know it's not perfectly produced at the moment, but (laughs) stick with us. Yeah, we're going to be ironing it out as we go. And I hope you will join us again next Friday for the Halloween special. I think it's Thursday, but... Okay. Join us on Halloween, whenever that (laughs) may be. physical Halloween. Okay, cool, cool. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss that. And um, have a brilliant weekend. I have nothing else to say. Say something funny. (laughs) 